by 16, I was doing yoga. By 19 or 20, I was in India meditating. And I discovered neuroplasticity and I discovered neurolinguistics. And I started to realize that actually you can change your brain. I believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. Amina Zamani is an executive coach who uses neuroscience to help people work through their limiting beliefs. What's exceptional about Amina is how much time and thoughtfulness she has around her clients and the process. I've not ever had an introduction with Amina where she has not asked me a thorough list of questions. And I really, really appreciate the time she takes because that's the time she takes just with someone that's not a client. You can only imagine the time she takes with a client. She really embodies this idea of proactive leadership. And so, Amina, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I just want you on my shoulder and my ear. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> so I want to ask you, from your understanding, since you coach many, many, many leaders, what is your definition of leadership? Yeah. Um, you know, I think embodied leadership is connecting your head, your heart, and your gut. And a lot of times people have frameworks for leadership, like, you know, like follow this three-step formula that Harvard, you know, which I love HBR, whatever, but what they come up with. And that's not it. True leadership is understanding yourself, your emotions, and being able to have empathy. And I think that's like the best way you can describe leadership is somebody that has awareness about themselves, has empathy for the other person, and really listens. What I'm also hearing, though, is that knowing what you do, it's also a little bit personalized. It's not even though yeah. there's like these things that are, OK, you know, you're self-aware, you have empathy, but every person has a special sauce. And so these ideas that these rubrics or these frameworks that we're given don't necessarily apply to every person because every person's their own. Yeah. Exactly. You know, one of my favorite authors, Robert Dilt, says the distance between you and me is the distance between my head and my heart. And that requires mindfulness to understand. Right. Emotional intelligence is something that people don't take into account when they think about leadership. They don't understand that actually for me to sink in and feel for a moment how Denise might be feeling is way more transformational and powerful. But arguably more important because yes. if you can't manage well if you cannot see and hear people yeah. in their success and in their struggle. Right. Yeah. I remember one time, you know, I was speaking to a high-level leader and I, I just looked at them and I just was paused. And I was just looking <laughs> at them and they were like, what? And I said, how are you? And they started crying. Wow. And they were like, you know, I've, I am so responsible for being so in charge of that, you know, revenue, thousands of people. And I haven't, I can't tell you how I am. I don't know. So think about that leader who's so disassociated. How can he tune in? Well, it's also the listening. And I think in our culture, especially corporate culture, when you're responsible for employees and revenue and you're managing all these things, it's incredibly stressful. And you're moving so quickly under this like capitalistic productivity that you don't have the time or space 
to dig into yourself often. No. And you're numbing yourself with these things. Yeah. And I think it's incredibly important that we have to remember it's okay to take a breath and to pause. Yeah. And I recently met someone that, you know, is a, is a leader in their own right. And we were talking and I could tell they weren't listening. <laughs> and I said, we can resume this conversation when you have some more time and space. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, you're not listening. And so for me, you know, but, but, no, but it's true because the whole thing is like, that's okay if you're not in the headspace right now to be present. <laughs> Just be honest with me. <laughs> but leadership is about presence. Right. And you have to be able to, so if you're, if you're a management meeting with an employee and you're not listening, yeah. they feel that. And they're like, well, they don't care. So it's all that stuff knowing, and it's okay to say, can we reschedule this when I right. when I can be more present? And I think yeah. in our culture, we feel like sometimes we can't do that. But I think about being honest about where we are is such a big key piece as to be a human being, but especially when we're talking about right. leadership. What drew you to executive coaching? Because you've been doing it a long time, yeah. and I would say most people at, in their early 20s aren't like, I want to be a coach. <laughs> you know, like that yeah. usually comes later with wisdom. But clearly, you had some innate wisdom, and so I'd love you to sort of talk. Yeah, I mean... What drew me to this industry is not particularly typical. Like, I grew up in an anxious home where my mom suffered from anxiety and depression. And my father was emotionally and physically, to say the least, unavailable. <laughs> and the impact that that had on me is I was anxious and I felt really alone. But the question I asked myself when I was growing up is like, how can we make this better? And I never knew the answer. And so by 16, I was doing yoga. By 19 or 20, I was in India meditating. And I discovered neuroplasticity and I discovered neurolinguistics. And I started to realize that actually you can change your brain. Mm. I mean, neuroplasticity is something that really became popular in 1948 and really started implementing in 1960. And so I started to see the benefits of change, and I thought, this is it. It was like what agency to be like, oh, I don't have to be this way? Yes. And I'll tell you what, like, my heritage is Afghani. Like, when I think about Afghanistan, I see, you know, beautiful rolling hills and a culture where people invite you to their home and you smell coriander, and it's just the best experience. And yet the reality is today... Women have acid thrown on their face if they're trying to get an education in Iran. A woman got beaten to death by the morality police because she stepped out without a hijab. And so those women don't have a choice, right? right? But my point is there's a lot of people that are refugees that have come over. There's a lot of people in mainstream America that need help. And my whole thing was there's a lot of suffering, but maybe there's something I can do. I want to, you know, Robert Dilt says, I want to help create a world in which people want to belong. Mm -hmm. And I had that from the time I was 12 years old. So this has been my life's work. Mm -hmm. um, so, Amina, you've walked me through this pyramid that's a good framework or understanding of, I think, the coaching world and where you operate within it. Yeah. Can I ask you to share that with us? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And bring the okay. whiteboard in. Bring in that whiteboard. Sure. Let me bring it in. Okay, so can you walk us through the pyramid and do your explanation and I might just interject with some sure. questions. Sure, so this pyramid is taken from neurolinguistic programming and it's the idea of neurological levels of change. The premise behind it is, is that we all have modes, kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? 
we start out at the bottom and then we go to spirituality and really all the amazing things up top. This idea is really the fundamental foundation for creating change and we can see it through a pyramid. So if you look at your life, a lot of times most people try to make change which is valid at the environment level. Okay, look, I'm gonna move, I'm sick of LA, my life is, oh, you know, like it's over here, I need to be in Austin, everything's gonna get better when I change my environment. Or the like, uh, when I lose this amount of weight, or when I do this, right. I'll be happy. Like these yes. are all the, 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 I'll be happy when. Exactly, okay. right. Then you sort of have your behaviors. And that's the weight loss idea, right? Is like, hey, like, if I eat less, if I juice fast, if, you know, I change the color of my hair, if I behave in a more sexy, fun way, they'll like me more, whatever. This is at the behavioral level. And I think some coaches might say, change your behavior, change your life. Maybe 20, 25% of coaches operate this way. What's your accountability? Let's talk about your accountability. Well, like habit building. If you build these habits, you're right. disciplined enough in these habits, then your life will change, which is... Which is good. But also not necessarily sustainable. No. And then we can do it through a capability level. Let me educate myself, which is great, right? This is kind of like atomic habits of like, what can you systematize? What can you ritualize? And this is fine. You can change your capability. But again, this doesn't change your being. This doesn't change your brain, right? It can slowly. But... When we get to areas such as beliefs, now your beliefs are how you see the world. Your beliefs are your lens of the world. And a lot of times people have empowering beliefs and limiting beliefs. Let me give you an example, a short one. Um, I knew a woman who I worked with. Uh, she's basically a supermodel. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. She had a limiting belief that she was really ugly. Now this is a very stark one, right? Because it's like, She's clearly gorgeous, but so where did that come from? After doing a lot of digging, what we found is that she, I mean, this is a bit sort of triggering potentially to some people, but that she was badly traumatized by her father. He had molested her, he had raped her, and she believed in that moment, bad things are happening to me, I must be bad, I must be ugly. And she made that belief up to feel safe because men were so scary to her. And when she changed that belief, right, all of these other capabilities, behaviors, and everything else changed. It sort of washed it away. So when we really start looking at our beliefs, our values, and our identity, most of our trauma, most of our difficulty happens at the identity level. I am bad. Nobody loves me. I can't do it right. So if you have this belief that I'm bad or, you know, going with this woman, if she has this belief that she's ugly and that nobody likes her, no matter how beautiful she is, how is she going to act with some guy that's approaching her? Right? You can try to read as many books on dating as you want. You can go to as many seminars that give you tips. But if you don't change your identity of I am not bad, and I'm lovable from the inside out, nothing changes. So I want to talk about, you know, most of these limiting beliefs are f formulated when we're young, right? Yes. They're like, so they're like these early childhood beliefs. Yes. And so a lot of them are 
the, these very simple statements. Yes. I am bad. I yes. don't matter. I yes. am ugly. What, whatever it exactly. is. And then if we don't evolve these, right? So I want to talk about it sort of in terms of leadership is like the way I look at it is like, okay, if I don't change these things about myself that I don't believe in, how could I possibly be a leader that shows for other people, that is empathetic, that believes these things in other people if yes. I don't believe them in myself? Yes. And so what have you found in the process of working with people? How has the cascade effects of fixing these beliefs changed how they show up at work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, when you change your identity beliefs, this sort of washes away and everything changes. It's like when you talk about the cascade effect, you look at grapes, right? Like lack of presence, difficulty, not having empathy. Like these are all grapes. But when you remove the stem and the stem is an identity belief, when you rip that out, the grapes fall. Mm. So so everything changes, you know, from a spiritual perspective, your energy changes. You're able to stand up taller, but from a neurological perspective, right? We're not stuck in like two neurons that are just kind of clashing in a way, right? The pathways are open. You're more present. And that absolutely builds empathy, right? Can we talk about, so once you like identify these things and you're sort of like rewiring, what is the process of rewiring those beliefs from like being aware, okay, like I now understand this thing. I'm starting to not believe that anymore. Yeah. But I know that we have, what is it, the mylar of myelin, the brain? Myelin, yeah. The, yes. myelin, the myelin of the brain, guys. Look at me. Um, <laughs> the myelin of the brain that over time when you are around like positive enforcing environments. Right, right. Yeah. Then that rewires. And so. Yeah. Can you talk us through the coding, how it like uncodes and recodes? Yes, of course. Um, so when you think about the brain, and brain cells and neuroreceptors, right? Like a brain cell is a neuron. I'm going to take a step back and explain the neurological aspect and then go into myelination and why myelination makes an impact. Okay. So, <laughs> so typically when neurons are wrapped around this membrane called myelin, they tend to operate at a velocity of 1400% increase. So what I mean by that, let me just give you the stats and then I'll go into it. So what I mean by that is typically when we're distracted, I'm picking up my phone, I'm looking at social media or whatever, my head's going a million miles an hour, I have a distracted brain. My neurons are operating from one to 10% millisecond. When my neurons are myelinated, that's operating at 150% millisecond. So what that means is the coding is so much faster. So let me give you some context. These numbers really matter. This is just the science and math. So when we have really negative thoughts, we tend to go over them over and over and over. And basically what gets myelinated around the neurons is the negativity. It's like clay that forms in the negativity. So you don't even realize that something bad happens and you think, I'm a failure, I'm a piece of shit. And these neurons rapid fire to you and it's really like in there, you know, in the membrane. And so they operate at a much higher velocity. But if you have a positive thought, it's the same experience. The problem is most of us have 60,000 thoughts <laughs> in a minute and they're mostly negative. Right. Negative self-talk. I think everyone can relate to that, which yeah. is that we get in this real habit of criticizing ourselves, but not criticizing our yeah. friends. And so when you think about this idea of 
why certain neuroreceptors fire faster than others. This is really critical. So if I'm walking and I, all of a sudden I'm about to trip, my neurotransmitters are like, hey, 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 Amina's about to trip, back up, and they fix it so I don't trip. Well, why do some transmit faster than others? The reason for that is, is because of danger, mm. right? And so when I have space to do deep work and I have no distractions and there's no danger of stimulus, what occurs is that myelination starts building slowly through the neurons. And mm. that's prolific if you think about it. If you think about it in a learning perspective, when you have no distractions and you're learning something, for two, three hours you're engulfed in it, you start reaching a state of flow, and the myelin starts building and building and it gets thicker. And it just, like, you get the velocity and the speed. Same thing with personal development. When you have something that is really hard and you don't want to deal with it, you start getting really, really distracted. But if you give yourself two, three hours, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to journal. I'm going to talk to my coach. I'm not going to run away and I'm going to be here. The myelination actually starts occurring through your neurons. And all of a sudden, two things happen. You get a competitive edge. Most people don't spend two to three hours a week on themselves, building mm. up their leadership, building up mm. their emotional intelligence. They don't do it. But for the few people that know the secret of myelination and how it gives you, it's like MDMA for your brain. Think of it that way, right? Like MDMA opens your heart. It's incredible. It's a chemical. This is a natural thing. Mm. So you can control the myelination. If you have that concentrated time and you really focus on a hard thing, the myelin starts building and there are these things like your neuroreceptors, they just start jumping over and it really makes a huge difference. That's why the power of positive self-talk is so amazing. Because when you have this really sort of negative loop and it's myelinated and it's operating at 150, you know, yeah. milliseconds, that's all you're going to reach. But if you start changing your brain and start saying positive things to yourself, this sounds really weird, but you look at yourself in the mirror and you look deeply into your eyes and you say, like, I accept you. Mm -hmm. I love and accept you, like Louise Hay says. That starts creating myelination around the neurons that are weak. Yep. And so if you strengthen that, magic can happen. And when you think about leaders, this is why leaders have to, it's their responsibility to do their own personal work. They have unmyelinated neurons that are basically reactive. Right. And if they spend the time doing their personal work, not only will they become better leaders, they'll be happier in life. This seems to me also a great way to talk about, like, you know, I talk a lot about knowing something but not having it in your body. Right. And getting this seems like a great way to get it into your body faster, yeah. which is even if we're talking just purely around, you know, like anti-racism work as a white person. Yeah. It's like these types of, the daily maintenance of it recodes the, the myelin to help you be less harmful walking exactly. through space. Exactly. That's a brilliant point, Denise. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's really important. I think people don't understand how it works. So it's hard to be like, well, okay, you, I should read this material every day, but like, what does that do? And now right. it's like, let's drive this home that this is how the brain is structured and it works. So you spending that time has a massive effect on how you show up in the world. Right. And right. I just wanted people to really understand that because I think it's, you know, at the crux of what you do. Yeah. But I also think people just don't have this knowledge. Right. No. And the, think about it like in a distracted world. If I wake up and 
I'm checking my phone and I think about what happened that was wrong yesterday and then I think about my family and then I think about my mother and then I think about my brother and all of a sudden I'm depressed and right. it's like, <laughs> you know, 9 a.m. And then I have to go deal with work. My, from a neurological perspective, there's so much fragmentation neurologically. Things are firing. It's like pew, 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 pew. Like I'm, I'm spent. Right. Like there's, there's nothing positive. I have nothing to give. Right. It's exhausting. Yeah. And those neurons don't have any sort of uh, closure. Mm. But if you take even 15 minutes in the morning before you check your phone and you meditate, that starts changing your neuroreceptors. That starts changing your brain. That starts making your prefrontal cortex bigger. Mm -hmm. Right? And all of a sudden, then you start saying positive mantras to yourself like, you know what? Like, I am good enough. Yep. Not some weird bullshit, ah, you know, affirmations. No. You want to change your brain cells? Get them myelinated. I also think what you're saying is like you're talking about neurons not having a um, closure. Yeah. Like we talk about, there's a book called Burnout, Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And in that book, they talk about to close out the stress cycle, it's like laughing or crying. That closes out the stress cycle so yeah. your body can get out of stress mode yes. and into relaxation yes. mode. And so I think all these small things make such a big difference because we're walking through the world hypervigilant. We never close out that stress cycle. Yes. We can't possibly show up no. as like our calm, best no. version of ourselves. Exactly. And as a leader, it is our duty and responsibility to care for others. Servant leadership is the new wave of leadership. It's about knowing your why. It's about serving others. It's what I can do for you, not a chain of command, what you can do for me. I also want to talk about the way that you work. I think it's important to point out that like you're basically teaching people how to cook and they can go cook themselves. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, I think a lot of coaches look to build these relationships that are like, you know, 20 year relationships because yeah. that's their livelihood. Yeah. And I think it's a lot harder to say, OK, I'm going to help you solve the thing and then you don't need me. Right. Like yeah. Great therapists and great coaches. That's what they do. Right. They give you the tools and then they can handle the things yeah. themselves. Yeah. And I just wanted to point that out because I think that's a rarity in the landscape that we see. But I think it's an important thing to call out. Thank you. It absolutely is. And the idea is that if we can change our brain, we're not victims. That's really the main crux of my message, yeah. right? Is the power is inside of ourselves. And we think we have to take some pill, we have to read some book, we have to take, you know, do some framework, but really all we have to do to create neural change is have a stimulus that we repeat over and over. The stimulus can be a positive emotion, it could be meditation, it could be a behavior like playing the piano. And if you repeat that, it gets better and better. And if you take something that is, <laughs> is negative, like I'm not good enough, and you operate from that, that gets stronger and stronger. And I'm not a neuroscientist, but I've, I'm obsessed with it. And so neuroscience is pretty simple. Why, you know, like neurons that fire together, wire together. Yep. So if you have additional neurons that are getting myelinated because you're spending that deep time and they're firing together, You've now set yourself up to be your own healer. Yep. And that's what we want. That's what we want. You are what you eat. You are what you say. Yes. Like all these things. And so it's really giving people the tools to live an embodied life. Yes, exactly. And that's true leadership. You know, leadership is less about having the title but living your truth. Living the principles, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. exactly right. That's right. 
Okay, thank you for walking me through that, my favorite thing um, that I want everyone to learn about. I really, really appreciate Change it. Change happens here. Identity level. Here. At the top of the pyramid, for those of you that are listening, for those of you that are watching the video, blessings to you, you get to see this amazing uh, artistry. Okay, we're gonna jump into our rapid fire section. Okay. I'm gonna have you Sweet. take a seat. Okay, rapid fire questions, just whatever comes to mind, your intuition. Okay, hit me. What would you tell your 20 year old self? Oh, baby, it's okay. It's like whatever. Everyone's like, relax, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, I love that. What's the last book you read? Deep Work by Cal Newport. What are you struggling with right now? Three things. <laughs> uh, waking up earlier. I, I'm in the 5 a.m. club normally, but it's been like 6.30. Uh, I'm struggling with uh, moving my meditations from 45 minutes to an hour. I like to do an hour. And um, not drinking enough celery juice. I know that sounds really lame. <laughs> but also, like, Amina doesn't have sugar, alcohol, nothing. She's a very clean channel. Um, I cannot relate, uh, but I admire that in her. Um, what is bringing you joy right now? Oh, dancing, being around amazing people like you, um, and red lipstick. Oof. Bring it out. Bring it out. The more spiritual I become, the more lipstick I wear, I'm just saying. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Change happens from the inside out. I love that. Yeah. We did it. Yes. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for being here. <laughs> this was such a fun episode with so many good takeaways because it was so science heavy, which is sort of different for us here at Do The Work, but I'm really getting much more interested in backing up the things we talk about with the biology. So what a gift to have Amina break this down for us. She believes that emotional intelligence is a key part of leadership. EQ is just as important as the IQ. Being a good leader is about listening. I don't think we listen enough in our culture, in our world. The presence of listening is really where you can become a fantastic leader. Get myelinated. Neurons that fire together wire together. And there's a reason that is a trope that we use is because it's true. The daily maintenance work around myelinating our brain is essential because I just learned this, guys, that for every negative experience we have, they hard code into our brain faster because of survival in the caveman times. So we need five to 13 positive experiences to counteract that one negative experience. So the daily maintenance, whether that's, you know, listening to a spiritual podcast or reading a book or meditating or getting some fresh air and walking, all those things, even like being in awe of a sunset or nature, all these things can counteract a negative experience. And over time, the more positive experiences that code into our brain, the more we regulate the brain to be in responsive mode. So those negative experiences that put us in stress, anxiety, worry, fear will be muted. That doesn't mean you won't still be triggered, but the more that we rewire and myelinate our brain the better off we can be at reacting in the way that we want to, not in the way that our surviving self forces us to. The power is inside of ourselves. If we can change our brains, we are not victims. And that is what is the ultimate takeaway of this episode is that you have the power to change you. You have the power to change your brain. And yes, it's a lot of effort, 
But that is amazing because we have way more power than we even know biologically of how the brain works. You can make your life different and better. This podcast is one of the most nourishing things that I do with my time. And it could not be possible without a select few people who really have put their time and energy to make this podcast live. So thank you, Wine Design, South by Southwest Innovators Fund, Lenny Skolnick, and Young Scorp Social. You guys really are the unsung heroes of this podcast, a little pod that could. I thank you so, so much and can't wait to hear all of your feedback on this amazing season. Mm-hmm.